Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hi. Coming up on today's show, why the fuck does everyone keep talking about Mercury being in retrograde? Plus what the death of Caroline Flack says about internet culture and then how Ben Affleck is pulling out all the stops to win back the affection of the public. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. Listeners who are subscribed to our newsletter, Zara, would know that I moved apartment. Thank the Lord for that because I'd been living (laughs) in a tiny airless shoebox for the better part of three years and now I have moved apartment into something that actually has some remnant of outside location. And light. And light. It's great to have some light back in. In my other apartment, I would have to turn on my living room lights and my kitchen lights at about 11am, which just feels so unnatural and not right at all. Well done. And also the rest of us don't have to hear you complaining about going home. Now I actually like going home. It's such a nice change. I do want to say though, I almost lost my actual shit putting together some Ikea furniture. I wanted to prove to myself, I don't know if you'll be surprised about this story with me because I think you'll hear it and go, that's very, very you. You know how I get my mind stuck on things and I decide I want to do this and I don't want to do it tomorrow. I don't want to do it in three hours. I want to do it right now. That's, this is the motto of your entire life. Like yes. there are sometimes jobs that we don't need to get done straight away. And I'm like, we can just finish it tomorrow. And you're like, no, we're finishing the entire thing right now. Yeah. So I decided I wanted a new bookshelf. And so I dragged my mum at 7.30 on Thursday night to go to Ikea with me. They close at nine. We get the bookshelf and then we realise it probably won't fit in my car. To which I said, no, no, I'm not waiting for this to be delivered tomorrow. In my heart of hearts, I know it needs to be taken home, unpacked and put together by myself tonight. I don't know. I don't know why I do this. I just do it. Did right? you also want it straight away? Like I do think there's something to be said about instant gratification here. I wanted my books on display. I'm yeah. sick of my books sitting in a box, right? I'm very proud of all my books. Anyway, I get. I finally get into the car. We like shove it in, fold all the seats down. 
I take it home. I start assembling at 9.30 at night. I was up till 1.30. I got so angry. I accidentally broke part of it. So I have kind of damaged a $250 bookshelf. It is currently still sitting in my apartment right now, not fully finished because Ikea furniture is straight out of the fires of hell. You can hire people to put it together for you. Air tasker. <sighs> but I wanted it right then. And Mitch, I- bless his soul, I don't know why he's still with me, was in our bedroom struggling to sleep because I was clanging around in the bedroom next door and he was like please just finish this another time I couldn't I couldn't let it go I wanted to prove to myself and literally no one else that I could install a piece of Ikea furniture I could not it's damaged it's broken and I don't know I'm a little bit sad about it I have to say I'm a bit different to you because I'm a quitter like I am a proud (laughs) quitter if I get a quarter of the way through something and it's not happening I'm like eh fuck it and I realized about two hours in that I'd put one piece of wood the wrong way around so I took the whole thing apart and re-put it this all back together. This happened to my bed frame. Yeah. And we ended up having to use a drill. And now when I ever move house <laughs> and take the bed with me, we're going to have to just throw it out because it's all stuck together with drill holes. Hopefully by the time this episode goes live, my bookshelf is put back together and I can put a photo up on our Facebook group. I do have something to recommend, Zara McDonald. I want to recommend going to a discount Adidas store, which on reflection <laughs> isn't the best recommendation I've ever given. But I went to a DFO outlet for Adidas last weekend and I got a pair of Adidas runners for $45. Oh, that's so fucking good. Are they are they usable? Like, can you run in them? They're wonderful. They're the exact same model that I had before I left my other pair of Adidas runners at an Airbnb in Perth. So I love the fact that if you go to a DFO that has an Adidas discount store, everything is an extra 50% off the sale price. Obviously not sponsored, just a great recommendation if you need new runners. I don't need new runners, but I feel like I'm going to buy them now, which is like a dumb money decision based off this recommendation. Yeah, well, for $45, you could get like four pairs of runners (laughs) they're all they're all basically free (laughs) I'm kidding how about your week um my week was good I feel like it was pretty uneventful I don't think much happened no Ikea furniture no Ikea furniture (gasps) I've got something from your week are you going to tell everyone about how you (laughs) Zara I'm going to give a direct quote from Zara in the middle of last week you turned to me and you went Mish no this is not how the story started but you tell your version (laughs) you went I'm terrified that I could have been the next Margot Robbie and will never know because I never did drama in okay, school. That's <laughs> that was a direct quote. Annabelle Lee can corroborate that's, this story for me. It's not like exactly what I did. <laughs> My concern was we were, I did this really good impersonation of someone. I can't remember who it was. And I said it and everyone's like, that was amazing. And I said to you guys, I said very personally <laughs> in very private space, I never actually did drama as a kid. I'm terrified I would have been what the next Margot Robbie. if I would have been really <laughs> good at acting and I never knew. I bet there are so many people listening to this who have these quiet, quiet fears that because they might have never done painting, they might have never tried singing publicly and they think that they could have been the next big thing. I'm terrified I could have been Marco Robbie <laughs> and now I'm just some lowly podcaster. Does it keep you up at night? Do you ever like no. wake up by the sheer force of shame that you're not Margot Robbie? No, I don't ever think about it. It just came out of my mouth. Surely there's a skill, Michelle. Surely there is a skill you've never properly tapped into that you you think you have oh look okay thank you I was in the Australian youth choir for a certain m- number have, of years you actually think this is a funny thing I reckon you think you're a good singer no I don't at all yes, I actually do. don't think I'm a good singer my sister Claire thinks she's a good singer which is very annoying however I 
probably could have been a decent singer if I had stuck with the Australian Youth Choir. However, there was a boy there that I had a crush on that didn't like me back, so I didn't want to go back there. Also, the uniforms were really scratchy. So Michelle just made me cut out this line, but what she just said just oh, then shut was, up. "You're about to I'm lie." I'm terrified that I could have been Dua Lipa <laughs> and not realised. <laughs> As if Dua Lipa is your go-to. Like Dua Lipa is great, but go-to songstress, I'd probably go for like Adele. Oh yeah. I just loved you, Alipa. Anywho, <laughs> just call me Margot from now on to help me live this life. What's your recommendation? My recommendation is an episode of Australian True Crime. I'm actually not a true crime listener by day or by night, but my sister recommended this to me and I really, really enjoyed it. It's an episode called Defending the Indefensible and it's an interview with a lawyer called Tim Marsh who is Chief Counsel at Victoria Legal Aid. He's a criminal lawyer and my sister recommended this to me because she is too a criminal lawyer. And she's a defence criminal lawyer and I think that there's a whole lot of uh, misinformation around how the legal system works. I think that there's also a real uh, misunderstanding as to why defence lawyers defend the people they do. For example, Tim Marsh defended uh, the man who was convicted of killing Eurydice Dixon. Mm. He was also uh, the lawyer of the man who killed A.M. Swari. So I think it's a really, really interesting listen for people who want to know why lawyers like this defend people like this and how the system actually works. So it's the idea that everyone deserves a voice? A voice and kind of everybody deserves to see justice function properly. Mm, A fair trial. Yeah, totally. And I think there's a lot of anger and misinformation, as I said, around the justice system. And I probably have more of a vested interest in this because my sister has such a vested interest in this. But I just think it's a really, really interesting listen. And I think it's an important listen too. Wonderful. I love that. Shall we go from that to Mercury and retrograde? Highs and lows, swings and roundabouts, light and shade, all of it here on Shameless. Now, you guys might have seen recently that the words Mercury retrograde are everywhere right now. Now, Mercury retrograde refers to February 17th to March 10th. We are currently in it right now. And apparently, Zara, it changes almost everything about the way you live your life. And I found an article about this on Friday that explained that Pisceans, which are people who are Pisces on the horoscope chart, hello, that is me, I'm born on March 17, are really struggling with Mercury in retrograde right now because it is in retrograde, Zara, and it's going to be in retrograde until March 10. I think this explains my IKEA furniture story and why I'm a bit batshit crazy right now. No, it doesn't explain anything. <laughs> also, does anyone mind if I just call it Mercury and retrograde? Because it feels like easier on the tongue. Really? <laughs> retrograde. Retro- it's too many R's. <laughs> it's been a long week because Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> yeah. No, see, it's even more batshit crazy that you think that your behaviour is based on the moons. I think the funniest part about all of this for me is how crazy some of the articles are around this time of year. For those who don't actually know what Mercury in retrograde is, this right now is the first of three times Mercury will go into retrograde this year, the other two times hitting in June and October. I don't like your tone, Miss McDonald. (laughs) There is. They go for like a month. So it's like three months of the year that we can say to ourselves, oh, I'm not crazy, it's just the moons. Anywho, there was an interview on (laughs) Refinery29 with Cosmic Consultants, which I didn't actually know was a job, but props to them, Sonia Kurtz and Reverend Michael Allen, who said the reason that Mercury retrograde exists is that Mercury is 
is the closest planet to the sun and has an eight, is my tone still annoying, <laughs> and has an 88-day orbit, whereas the Earth's is a 365-day cycle. This speed discrepancy means that Mercury laps the Earth four times in the course of one Earth year. When Mercury is in retrograde, it appears to be moving backward when viewed from the Earth. It is, however, an illusion. I have to be honest, not one part of that made sense to me. All astrology fans are hating you right oh, now. You I are actually, turning off half of our podcast I, listeners. I actually think I'll get trolled with this. <laughs> I'm not a huge astrology fan, but I'm not about to be an astrology denier. If you believe it, go for it. And I'm not going to deny the fact that my life has been a little bit chaotic and messy over the last week. And yes, perhaps that could be because Mercury's in retrograde. Or perhaps your life is always chaotic and messy. Shut up. All right. So I have a quote to explain this further. So Zara's given us the scientific, I'll put that in inverted yeah, commas, please. the scientific explanation of Mercury in retrograde. I'm going to give you a bit more of a cultural explanation from cosmic expert Kyle Thomas. He wrote this for Cosmopolitan. Mercury is all about logic. So our minds get dazed and confused when it is in this zodiac sign. You will be very sensitive at this time. Your intuition will be strong though. So be sure to balance your mind with your heart. Pay heed to the messages the universe sends you. In March 2019, we experienced Mercury retrograde in Pisces. So think back to what was happening then and you'll likely see echoes to now. I don't like your tone that this isn't a thing because I reckon lots of podcast listeners have either cracked their phone screen or microwaved their co-worker's salad. I crack my phone screen every month. Yeah, but uh, this is a time of year when things turn to shit. No one can deny that. I have to say I would have more faith in Mercury retrograde if it was for five days of an entire year. But to put everything crazy that happens in your life down to a total of three months is kind of absurd. My favourite quotes about Mercury being in retrograde retrograde and I still can't even say it very very well at <laughs> How all. How many times are we going to have to cut it out of the podcast every time I've gone to say Mercury retrograde? What about I just say how it comes out? Anyway, is this idea that it's apparently, according to the Mary Sue, it's a bad time to start new projects, enter into contracts or try to make big plans. It's a topsy-turvy time for anything that connects us. Also, maybe not great for travel. <laughs> <laughs> So for three to four months a year, I meant to avoid new projects, entering into contracts, making big plans, anything to do with connection and also maybe not great for travel. There's a full list of do's and don'ts that I found about Mercury retrograde and this is according to astrostyle.com. So if they've got a name like that, you would think they know what they're talking about. Would you like some of the don'ts? Hit me. Do not buy new vehicles, electronic equipment or gadgets unless there is a return policy. (laughs) I mean, there should feasibly be a return policy on most things you buy, but onwards. Do not fly off the handle or jump to conclusions if someone misunderstands you. But I do that all the time anyway. (laughs) Do not run into the arms slash bed of an ex. Okay, well, that's just fucking ridiculous because everybody would do that any month of the year. And that applies 12 months all year round. Do not put anything sketchy into an email or text. You could hit reply all or send to the wrong person. That can happen at any time. And probably, you know what? I deserve that. That I send that many like screenshots of shit around to people that I deserve to send it to the wrong person for being such a terrible person. If that happens in Mercury retrograde, you need to become 
a believer. And the final do not. Do not spread rumours, rant on social media or share unconfirmed information. (laughs) Sometimes it's fun to do that. Not on a public stage. It is not fun on a podcast like this one to share unconfirmed information. But spreading rumours is not bad with your friends. I do have one closing argument in favour of Mercury Retrograde. I think I am a bit of a believer now. I just want something that I can blame all of my shit on. Like if I'm really hormonal and annoying and aggro, I want to be able to point to the stars and be like, it's their fault every time I do something. Like the fact that Mitch was very grumpy with me for keeping him up to 1.30am on Friday morning, I want to be able to turn to him and be like, you know what? It's astrology. Don't blame me, blame the stars. And that's exactly the issue with Mercury <laughs> and retrograde. How about people take some self-responsibility? For the for the record, I actually don't mind astrology in its entirety. We've had a conversation on the podcast about why people are turning to it more and more in 2019 and 2020. That said, Mercury in retrograde is actually an optical illusion. So it's like not even a thing. It's not moving backwards. Are you How so- do you explain that? I don't need to explain it. It's <laughs> happening in my life every single day. I don't need science, Zara. I've got my gut feeling and I'll go with that. Thank you oh, very much. That's such a good motto to live by. <laughs> I should take that. I don't need science. I go with gut feeling. Feelings over science. <laughs> Are you scared of being trolled? Like, not. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you a rough and tumble on the celebrity news cycle, Zara Alice McDonald, or at Zara McDonald, which is your Instagram handle that confused a lot of people in our Facebook group this week. I've never, what have you got for I've me? I've never seen my Instagram handle unpacked with such analysis. One listener came into our group to write that she had finally figured out why your Instagram handle is at ZA McDonald because she thought that A meant Alice, but your middle name is Alice with an E. Yeah. You just wrote at Zara McDonald because Zara can be a nickname for Zara. Yeah, but everyone's like, that's a weird nickname. And I was like, is it? It's just half my name. It's just the first half of my name. And then your dad had to come in and clear everything up. I love that David McDonald was like, this is my moment to shine in the Facebook group. Hi, everyone. I actually named her. Here's what her handle means. Anyway, for the quick and dirty today, my first story. I'm not sure if you saw this one around, Mish, but it was one of my favourite stories of the week. Orlando Bloom fixes misspelled Morse code tattoo of his son. Flynn's name. That is from page six. How did he spell Flynn? So he got Flynn's name in Morse code, which is just like a bunch of dots. But instead of Flynn, he got <laughs> he got Flynn. What? So did he get an extra dot or he missed out on a dot? He missed out on a dot. And that dot changes an R to an L. Apparently. I don't know Morse code. Sue me. So he had to come back onto Instagram when he got the extra dot done and was like, hey. What a sad cliche. It's a beautiful story. (laughs) Number two, Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaela, explains decision to become adult entertainer. That is from E! News. So she is making her own like self-produced films or videos at the moment to put on the internet and she came out publicly and said I FaceTimed my parents one of which is Steven Spielberg and told them the news and they she said and I quote they were intrigued but not upset interesting so she's making homemade porn and selling that I think so god she could get some tips from her dad though in terms of filmmaking if she wanted good on her for getting all this publicity by the way imagine how many more porn video sales she's going to have now that it's live on the internet but also live on every major news publication and every major celebrity tabloid in the US. Yeah and in an interview with The Sun she said this is a positive empowering choice. I realise there is no shame in having a fascination with this industry and wanting to do something that is safe, sane and consensual. Love that. Quite articulate. What is your third story? My third story. Jen Fricker blasted her former Triple J bosses over their handling of her alleged assault. That That is is from Pedestrian TV. 
be. Thank you for doing my job for me. That is very <laughs> kind of you. That was a bit that was a bit backseat drivey, I must say. I'm sorry. Sometimes you get so excited you launch straight in without mentioning the publication. I do it all the time. So did you see this story around too? I did. So Jen Frigger used to be a radio host with Triple J. And she had a man who expressed intense interest in her and her life to the point where it constituted stalking. No, it was stalking and assault for sure. So what actually happened is she was attacked on air by a man who was stalking her. Um, He came into the ABC building and... uh, like kissed her quite aggressively and non-consensually on the lips. It sounded like a really, really harrowing time for her. And she was interviewed on Marie Claire's Finding Fearless podcast. And she said that the man had attempted to gain entry into the ABC building seven or eight times before he made it into the Triple J studios and nobody had told her about the threat. Mm. So this happened in September 2018 and he grabbed her while a song was playing on air and then fled the building after the attack was arrested day later she said she didn't feel protected by her workplace she said that she wished she was across uh the threat that was looming before it actually happened and I don't know it's a pretty sobering insight into what she thinks is that even though she's working for what is perceived to be one of the more progressive workplaces that it is still run as she says by white men in suits yeah totally and it's terrifying that she could alert her superiors and alert security in that building to the fact that there was this man who was obsessed with her and he still got in. It was through an ABC tour. He said he wanted a tour of the studios or signed up for one of those and it was very, very easy for him to get access to the building and to her, which is terrifying. And I'm impressed that she told this story because I don't think it'd be a very easy story to tell. And Triple J is so admired by so many young Australians and I think it's an important story not just for Triple J not just for the ABC but for every Australian workplace taking this stuff really seriously and protecting the women who work for them. Absolutely story number four people are pissed at the royal family for wishing Prince Andrew happy birthday on social media that is from Cosmopolitan. Now the post was put in our Facebook group I originally thought it was a fake royal family Facebook page. Because you didn't see the blue tick Initially, you yeah. had to go onto their page to see that it was verified. So the poor listener who tried to post it originally, I deleted it because I instantly looked at it and went, well, that's fake. That's not a real Facebook page. Someone's just like, I don't know, trolling the world. However, it was 100% real. The royal family on their official Facebook page posted a photo of Prince Andrew with the caption, on this day in 1960, Prince Andrew was born at Buckingham Palace, the first child born to a reigning monarch for 103 years. Happy birthday to the Duke of York. Now, a little bit tone deaf. You can't make this shit up, can you? No, a little bit tone deaf given that Prince Andrew befriended a convicted pedophile. Yep. But oi, Harry and Meghan are the real villains here. Yeah, I know. And I'm so interested to see if Harry and Meghan get happy birthday messages. I put in my notes, HBD messages. HBD. HBD messages. Exactly. So their birthdays are in the latter half of the year. And I'll be very, very interested to see if the royal family is so gushing about the villains that supposedly left the castle. Let's actually put their birthdays in our calendar and check back in. Because then we can probably wish Megan a happy birthday because we'll have had her on the podcast by then. We can say it in person. We can put our own happy birthday message out for Megan. <laughs> Do you know how many messages I got this week from people saying, if you can get Zoe Foster Blake on a podcast, you can get both Margot Robbie and Megan Markle? Should we just put our wish list out into the universe right now? Top three in conversation guests around the world. Go. Margot Robbie. Yep. Megan Markle. Yep. Oh. I would add Lizzo to the list. Definitely Lizzo. Lizzo would be really high up there. Jamila Jamil. Yep, would love her. Would be amazing. One more. Who else would we like? 
Like a Rebel Wilson would be cool. Awesome. Done. There you go, people. Let's start ticking them off. My fifth story, Gwyneth Paltrow hosts no makeup dinner party with Demi Moore and Kate Hudson. I can't say Demi Moore without saying it the American way. That's from news.com.au. What the fuck is this story? You put this in. Gwyneth Paltrow, exactly as the headline suggests, hosted a star-studded dinner with celebrities, including, do you remember Rachel Zoe? She had the Rachel Zoe project. She was cool. Celebrity Pro- stylist. Probably still is cool. Yeah, she's still cool. I don't know why you think she's suddenly not cool, Zara. I don't know. Well, she just hasn't been around much. Oh, snap. Poor Rachel Zoe. Some weird beef between Zara <laughs> from Shameless and Rachel Zoe going on. Celebrity feud. I'm not calling you a celebrity, by the way. You're totally irrelevant. Yeah, okay. Can you tell me the story? So all of these celebrities, including Kate Hudson, including Demi Moore, or Demi Moore, as you said, were invited along. However, there was a rule, Zara. There was one rule... And Rachel Zoe did not obey the rule at all. It was that you were not allowed to wear makeup. Rachel Zoe was absolutely 100% wearing fake eyelashes and eyeliner. That so sounds like something Rachel Zoe would do. <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way, before I get trolled even more for this episode. Why are you <laughs> coming for Rachel Zoe I'm in not. astrology? <laughs> I actually, what a weird enemy. I actually fucking love Rachel Zoe. I think she's cool. Stop trying to dig yourself out of the hole. What weird public enemies to oh name on the God. podcast. Can we stop? Anyway, what a weird dinner party. I mean, is it weird for Gwyneth Paltrow though? She was hashtagging Goop Glow on everything and they were all talking about how like how good it is to embrace their insecurity and how great it is not to wear makeup. Meanwhile, all looking like a million dollars because oh, they yeah. clearly have the best facialists in the world and look glowing and amazing regardless of what's on their face. <laughs> Very inspiring. Thank you for putting that as my fifth story. <laughs> hey, that's all I've got for you for the quick and dirty today. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, what Caroline Flack's life and death exposed about the tabloid media and Twitter. Then the Ben Affleck profile that we have way too many thoughts on. But first a word from today's marvellous sponsor. Just a heads up, guys, this next segment comes with a trigger warning. We will be discussing topics around suicide. If you or a loved one is struggling, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Last weekend, one of the most famous faces in reality television, Caroline Flack, took her own life. At first, it felt like the suicide took the whole world by surprise. But in the weeks since, an uglier reality emerged. Caroline Flack's death was on the cards and it had been on the cards for months. Here we had a woman who had told us of her mental health struggle, of her history taking antidepressants, and most importantly, of her recent unbridled pain in the spotlight. And so today we want to tackle a rather large question. How do we protect each other from the ferocious, unforgiving internet? But first, Zara, let's start small. Can you give a recap of where Caroline Flack's story took a disastrous turn on the 12th of December 2019? Yeah, I can. And it's been a pretty huge two months. And I think uh, very indicative of how things in someone's life can change very, very quickly, particularly when the internet and the tabloids are involved. Mm. So Caroline Flack was arrested on the 12th of December last year and she subsequently pleaded not guilty to assaulting her boyfriend with a lamp. She was due to go to trial in March after facing claims that she inflicted a significant head injury to him. So her boyfriend came out and tried to withdraw the charges, but often in the cases of domestic violence or alleged domestic violence, the prosecution decides to pursue the charges anyway because they feel like they have enough evidence even without the testimony of the alleged victim. Absolutely. And sometimes in cases like this, alleged victims might want to withdraw charges for quite messy reasons. It's not as cut and dry as nothing happened. If we're talking about romantic relationships and potentially emotional and physical abuse, there are a host of reasons why a 
potential victim might want to withdraw their charge. Totally. And I think tabloids jumped on this bandwagon straight away. It was a pretty spectacular fall from grace for one of the most recognised reality TV presenters in the UK, if not the world. Love Island was huge across the world, still is huge across the world. Tabloids like the Daily Star newspaper immediately branded her Caroline Smack. Yeah. Which is pretty yuck. It's gross. And if you're not across Caroline's career, I'll give you a really brief synopsis. Caroline was 40 at the time of her death. As I said, she is one of the UK's most famous personalities. Her career took off in 2014 when she won Britain's Strictly Come Dancing. She began presenting The X Factor and Love Island the next year. As many of you would already know, Love Island is huge globally in Britain. The average viewership of every episode is 5 million people. It's incredible. What I found very interesting is in the days after Flack's death, an online petition calling for a review into the media has attracted more than 200,000 signatures and a campaign is urging for new legislation dubbed Caroline's Law to be implemented. And I think the first place I wanted to start with you, Mish, is the role of tabloids. I mean, it is certainly not the first conversation we've ever had about tabloids, particularly UK tabloids, which seem to be so much more vicious than anywhere else. But what kind of role do you think that they played in this kind of really tragic demise? I think they have blood on their hands, figuratively and literally. I mean, you just have to look at one of the headlines that appeared in The Sun, and I would say that The Sun is one of the most egregious publications in the UK to exist. They ran with a headline, Bedroom Bloodbath. They had this on the front page, accompanied by a picture of blood-splattered sheets. They said they were from the alleged crime scene between Caroline Flack and her partner, Lewis Burton. I mean, this is incredibly complicated. There are claims that that blood wasn't actually Lewis Burton's, it was actually Caroline Flack's. It's very, very messy. Regardless, though, I have a lot of questions about how The Sun and the journalists at The Sun obtained those images from a crime scene. Well, someone sold them to them. Someone who had access to the crime scene and how many people would have access to that area. I find that incredibly interesting and incredibly damning that something that should be so private and so protected made its way into the biggest tabloid in the country. Now, The Sun and the Daily Mail play such a role in the UK media and I think they have definitely played a role in Caroline Flack's depression and her feeling like there was no way out and the sense of hopelessness that Caroline Flack clearly felt is just so pervasive in all of the stories around this Zara. Did you see the exclusive and I'll put that in inverted commas the exclusive article that the Sun ran on the day before Caroline Flack suicided? I did see it. So for those who missed it, The Sun published an exclusive article about a novelty Valentine's Day card that mocked Flack and the allegation that she assaulted her partner with a lamp. So the illustration was of Caroline with the caption, I'll fucking lamp you. It was by a local illustrator. I'm not going to share his name because he has been slammed and trolled himself on social media in the days since. But what I do find interesting about The Sun in this instance is the fact that they posted this, mocked Caroline Flack one day, and within 24 hours when she had then taken her own life, they quietly deleted that article without a word, without an apology, and started posting all of these very earnest, very sincere, very transparent tributes about what an incredible woman she was. Yeah, this is what I wanted to raise with you actually, because tabloids like The Sun moved so fast to delete previous negative articles about her and I think that's such a cowardly and callous thing to do that if you get to a point where you can recognise your reporting is going to look terrible with hindsight 
to the point where you feel the need to delete them because you don't want those articles under your own banner, then surely you also need to come out and recognise the role you played in somebody else's demise. Like, surely? And the sobering thing about this was on Twitter, someone pulled out one of the Sun articles talking about what an incredible person Caroline Flack was and all the trolling that she endured. And then juxtaposed that with a very recently published article by The Sun about Katie Price and how Katie Price's home is dirty and gross and she's a bad mother. And they put them side by side and said, so you did this to Caroline Flack yesterday and now you're trying to play the good guy card, but you're still doing it to women like Katie Price. Like you only pull out the earnest sympathetic trope when it suits you. When it fits the mood. And every other day you're making clicks off women's shame. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly hypocritical, disgustingly so. I think the other part of the coverage that's really disappointed me was an article in the sun that read caroline flax friends brand cps cruel for charge over minor incident and stopping her seeing her boyfriend lewis so what that headline is alluding to is the fact that her friends apparently do blame the crown prosecution service for actually holding those charges and i found this article so unhelpful and so frustrating to read the crown prosecution service is not to blame for the death of caroline flack it is their job to protect the rest of us I really, with all of this in mind and and feeling desperately sad over the death of Caroline and everything that led to it, I can't help but think that we do take this charge so much less seriously because of her gender. Mm. Like, yes, Caroline Flack was trolled and she should be alive today, but she also allegedly did something bad. That doesn't make her fundamentally bad, but it meant we needed to investigate that. It meant that we couldn't erase that. It's a fact. I can't help but think that if this conversation was around Chris Brown or someone else accused of something different we would be reacting in a different way I think we can be sad and devastated about Caroline dying and understand how important that court process is Mm. like there's no simple thought process around this and we don't need to like simplify our feelings and our thoughts but to blame uh, the court system seems so overly simplistic and so close-minded to me. And the court system is imperative here we we need the court system what we don't need is salacious click hungry articles in places like the sun and as you said I agree I think we're also desperate to point the finger and a lot of us do point the finger at tabloids which is valid but we refuse to point the fingers at ourselves. I wanted to touch back on that Valentine's Day card that you spoke about because there was an interesting piece in CNN by Rob Pachetta who said even as the related hashtag be kind was trending several Twitter users displayed their anger by sending abuse to the reporter who wrote a story in the sun headlined brutal Caroline Flack Valentine's Day card cruelly mocks troubled star with I'll fucking lamp you message that was published hours before she died. So on one hand, we've got all of these messages saying, let's be kind, let's be kinder to each other, look at the look at how our actions impact other people. And on the other, we've got us giving death threats to the man who, who made this card. I'm really glad you brought that up because I went on the Instagram page of the local illustrator. As I said, I don't want to give his name. I don't think it's relevant. I think he made a mistake, but I also think it's really important to look at exactly what you just touched on, that he was so badly trolled and told to kill himself. And what he wrote on his Instagram page before he suspended his account was fascinating. He wrote, even the idea that the card I created could have contributed to Caroline's decision to end her life makes me feel deeply ashamed of myself. The amount of guilt I feel is indescribable. This is definitely 
definitely been a massive learning curve. Obviously, the comments about me online and emails and messages have been harsh. Some have been horrendous. For this reason, I've deactivated all of my social media. Some people have even contacted my wife and sent her abuse. I can only apologize for any contribution I may have made inadvertently to last week's tragic circumstance. I'm not suggesting I don't deserve words and threats being directed at me, but we clearly need to stop the cycle of hate and look at the wider issues surrounding the British media and mental health. He went on to include some of the messages he had received and some of the lines out of articles that were pretty gross about him. Some of them said, you should die. You're a fucking sicko. What are you doing here? You have blood on your hands. You will spend the rest of your life regretting this. And I just find that so interesting, as you said, Zara, that even when we're so upset about someone taking their life because of cyberbullying, we respond to that by cyberbullying someone else. And in this instance, both Caroline Flack has clearly made mistakes in her life and this illustrator has made mistakes in his life. Does that mean we should ever tell them to kill themselves? No. It's fucking illogical. It is so fucking illogical. I I found this quote from Caroline Flack's 2015 autobiography very illuminating. She said, people say you have to expect that kind of scrutiny because you work in television. Really? Why? Who says so? Perhaps the worst was Twitter. However vile they are, newspapers have to be careful because of libel and privacy. But Twitter is different. Nobody censors that. And I did find it interesting that there was a campaign with 200,000 signatures blaming the media. But we don't really turn to social media and want to hold that to account too because that's us. I know it sounds over cliched and incredibly predictable to say that social media too has blood on their hands. But I think we love to evade responsibility in these cases. I think we love to point to newspapers and media outlets and tabloids and say, well, that was you, that wasn't me. But it was, it's, it's, it's all of us. And we need to keep in mind, the people who work at tabloids are people and they might represent a lot of the people who are online and a lot of the people who are writing nasty tweets and a lot of the people who behave in such a gross way online. It's not like the media is some big made up with monsters. It is probably indicative of the way a lot of people talk and act and behave online. It's a microcosm of what we all are. Well, it has to be a mirror in some way. And I know that's a pretty confronting thing to think, but they make money off it because it must be a mirror. It makes me think so much of how we've treated women in the last few weeks at the very least and at the very minimum. Like we're, we're obsessed with pulling the flaws out of people's perfect facade and I can't stop thinking about Jamila Jamil as well who just last week had to issue more than one public statement after being repeatedly accused of suffering from Munchausen syndrome which is a disorder that characterizes people who fake a medical illness in order to attract attention and what happened was journalist and podcaster Tracy Morrissey decided it was her personal quest to uncover all of Jamila Jamil's quote-unquote lies she shared a clip on Instagram of uh, Jamila talking about a cancer scare in 2015 when in 2019 she said that she actually had cancer twice. In other videos posted by Morrissey, Jamila could be heard discussing her struggles with the tissue disorder, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, injuries she sustained from multiple car accidents and other illnesses such as mercury poisoning and seizures. And what happened when this all exploded online is that people started accusing Jamila of lying, of inflating her health issues. And I couldn't stop thinking about what the fuck the point was Mm. with all of this. What is the point of going after someone who largely does good work in the public eye I think in the past I'll be self-aware enough hopefully to know that I might have argued it was in the public interest Mm. like I might have argued that but now 
with the backdrop of this story, I actually just think we're nasty sometimes and use that as an excuse to pull people apart. Like her boyfriend, James Blake, came out and furiously defended her, saying she hasn't sold dangerous products to kids, she hasn't abused anyone, she hasn't funded anything dangerous or brought any deliberate harm to any marginalised group. She's just done her best as an ever-learning human, as most of us are, to help other people with her privilege. Mm, I think if you simmer it down, it's just the joy of a gotcha moment, which is a gross joy. But that is so much of our hatred or condemnation of celebrities, not necessarily Caroline Flack. It's a very different set of circumstances with her and Jamila Jamil. But with Jamila, it definitely seems like a gotcha moment. People just want to find something that isn't perfect. And as soon as they find anything that exposes a weakness or a vulnerability or a flaw, which we all have, people jump on it with glee as if they're so excited to find it. But what we all forget so readily is all the research that points to the fact that cyberbullying, like what people are currently doing to Jamila Jamil, makes someone 2.3 times more likely to self-harm or have suicidal behaviour. And that's according to researchers at the University of Oxford, Swansea and Birmingham. This has been conducted on over 150,000 people. The stats don't lie and we keep doing it. You're right though, it is a gleeful thing. Like we're gleeful when we realise people's flaws, especially when they're put on some sort of pedestal. And when it comes to Jamila Jamil, it's like, oh, we found these flaws. And yeah, maybe she'd exaggerated stories in the past. But how does that personally affect any of us? Like what damage is that doing publicly? And what our assumption is after that is that all the good work she's done prior to this is rendered void. Mm. Like it suddenly doesn't matter. It's like, almost like, don't worry, guys, she's not that perfect. She's not that good. We've found a flaw. We've found a weakness. She's not special. And we don't want her to think she's special. We want her to know that we see right through her. And based on those stats you just gave me, I find it very interesting that Jamila Jamil's boyfriend tweeted just a day later after his public defence of his of his partner about the death of Caroline Flack. And he said, this is the effect of online and print bullying. This is what dehumanising and hounding people leads to, which is quite sobering to read. I did want to say while I was on here too, Mish, that last night I was out for drinks in a pretty tiny bar near my house. And as I was sitting there and drinking with my boyfriend, we saw someone walk in who would arguably be one of the most well-known faces in the country right now because he's had a very, very public fall from grace. And as we saw him walked in, Ollie was talking to me but facing the door and saw this drunk dickhead heckle him. And you saw this man, who everybody would know, look physically broken by it and have to walk back to the restaurant. And we were like gobsmacked that this was not just happening online that this was happening in in real life and what happened was that this this drunk idiot just went back to his friends and giggled as if it was some kind of party trick like a funny story to tell people tomorrow and I was a pretty astounded that this stuff was happening like I said not just online but but in real life and in front of our faces too it's awful yeah it's just so beyond awful and it really reminds me of this great illustration we put it up on our Instagram page probably six months ago I think we'll actually reshare it today because it's I'm going to give you my best description of this but it's basically an illustration that shows that someone's life is very long and there's a lot to it and you only know a tiny portion of someone's life we need to be gentle on people we know a tiny bit about them even if we think we know a lot even if they're public figures and we feel like we know them like friends we don't and people are going through shit and we all need to keep that in mind no one should ever be taking their life because they feel like there is hopelessness I think that's what really upsets me people who feel hopeless like that is the worst feeling in the world and you should never have to feel that there's no way out you should never have to feel like you are in a 
this spot that you can't get out of because you can. And I hate knowing that Caroline Flack in her worst moments felt like she was never going to redeem herself because even though she might have done something terrible, there's always a redemption story. There's always a way to be a better person. And for her to feel hopeless and for other people to be made to feel that today and tomorrow and next week and next month is awful. And something has to change because it hasn't changed and it's only getting worse. This week, Ben Affleck sat down with the New York Times to talk about his personal life for the first time since, well, it all fell apart. Yep, in 2015, Affleck split from his wife of 10 years, Jennifer Garner, after it was reported he had an affair with their 28-year-old nanny. Then he struggled through some pretty high-profile addiction issues. Now, in 2020, Affleck is ready to address them all, telling the Times the biggest regret of his life was his divorce. Mish, tell me what you considered, A, of this profile, and B, Affleck's pitch to the public to get back in the good books. Well, I'll start with A, go chronologically. My thoughts on this profile were that it had the most unusual opening few lines. Yeah. The writer behind this Ben Affleck profile piece, his name is, I'm Googling it right now, Brooks Barnes. His very first words were, warning, this is not one of those celebrity profiles that uses a teaspoon of new information to flavour a barrel of ancient history. There is no paragraph where the star and the writer pretend to be pals, gag, while doing an everyday personal activity. And what's everyone eating? Who cares? No, you will not get served the obligatory canned quote from Matt Damon. This is Ben Affleck, raw and vulnerable, talking extensively for the first time about getting sober again and trying to recalibrate his career again. That to me reads like a profile writer who's saying everyone else's profiles that you've read are shit. They're all immature and boring and bland. And my profile, it's different. It's awesome. It's raw. Regardless, I also found the contents of this interview really interesting as well. Ben Affleck spoke to the Times about the demise of his marriage and his long history with alcoholism. And a couple of his quotes that stood out to me were, I drank relatively normally for a long time. What happened was that I started drinking more and more when my marriage was falling apart. This is 2015, 2016. My drinking, of course, created more marital problems. He also said, the biggest regret of my life is this divorce. And the journalist also pointed out that he was noticeably using the present tense. Mm. Shame is really toxic. There is no positive byproduct of shame. It's just stewing in a toxic, hideous feeling of low self-worth and self-loathing. I wanted to note before we move on that it's important to recognise that Ben Affleck is currently doing press for his upcoming movie called The Way Back, in which he plays an alcoholic trying to put his life back together. Mm. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting in that it explains probably why he's being so candid and honest and raw, to use that word again, now when he hasn't been over the last couple of years. That yes, he's telling his story and yes, he's being very honest about his stints in rehab and his troublesome history with alcohol but he is potentially only doing that to sell movie tickets which is not unusual in fact it's incredibly common like I would love to say the timing is curious but it's not at all big Hollywood stars use profiles like in Vanity Fair or in the New York Times as a kind of transaction like give up tiny bits of your personal life in order to get your career back on track or in order to sell more movie tickets because vulnerability makes headlines and headlines sell movies Mm. normally I don't mind that at all like I think it's kind of smart and if I get little bits of celebrity personal life I don't care if they make money off (laughs) yes please I'll take it all (laughs) but I do kind of care about the way he's leveraging his marital failures and like the belovedness of Jennifer Garner to come back into public favor again. 
And when I say that, I mean, he also went on Diane Sawyer the day after this profile went live. He spoke about his divorce again and he said, I didn't want to get divorced. I didn't want to be a divorced person. I really didn't want to be a split family with my children. It upset me because it meant I wasn't who I thought I was. And that was so painful and so disappointing. After the interview aired on Good Morning America, Affleck had Diane Sawyer read a public letter from himself to Jennifer Garner. And it read, what I want to say publicly and privately is thank you. Thank you for being thoughtful, considerate, responsible and a great mum in person. Do you find this manipulative? I mean, it depends. It depends whether or not she knows everything that's going on. It sounds unusual for an ex-husband to be wheeling out his very popular, very much loved ex-wife for publicity. But we also don't know if she's in on this and they're potentially on good terms. I mean, she has been instrumental in in getting him back to sobriety again there's every chance that she could have known that this was going to be the strategic play. Do I think that's likely? I'm on the fence. I think it's 50-50. There's a chance that she had no idea and she's feeling really rotten right now because her ex-husband has just wheeled her out to sell movie tickets. There's also a chance that she's sitting watching at home going, yep, that's exactly what we talked about. Yeah, well, it's true. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think talking about sobriety in any context and addiction in any context is helpful, particularly for someone like Ben Affleck, who was such a golden boy for such a long time but his framing of this marriage breakdown I think is paramount to his comeback I think people love Jennifer Garner people are obsessed with Jennifer Garner she's forever been painted as like this very pure kind woman who was wronged by a a rogue husband and it reminds me of um, that very famous Vanity Fair interview that she did in 2016 and she said I didn't marry the big fat movie star I married him and I would go back and remake that decision I ran down the beach to him and I would again you can't have these three babies and so much of what we had he's the love of my life what am I going to do about that he's the most brilliant person in any room the most charismatic the most generous he's just a complicated guy I always say when his sun shines on you, you feel it. But when the sun is shining elsewhere, it's cold. He can cast quite a shadow. One of my favourite passages from any celebrity profile ever. How eloquent and poetic for her to just wheel that out. Totally. And I think for Ben Affleck, it takes quite a few years to come back from a quote like that. Like his reframing of that marriage breakdown is paramount to selling this movie because she did such a beautiful job of not seeming angry, but just seeming devastated. I think this profile really brings in a lot of questions about who the stories belong to in that it's totally Ben Affleck's right to go on air and talk at length about his battle with alcohol addiction. I mean, it's been something he's been battling since he was 15. He was sent to a camp for troubled teens when he was 15 to battle his alcohol addiction. He also went to rehabilitation facilities in 2001, 2017, 2018. He's spoken about potentially having a gambling addiction before. That's all part of his story. What I find interesting here is when your story brings in other people like Jennifer Garner, like your kids, who does the story belong to? And And by design of you deploying that story to promote your movie, you're going to be having a one-sided view of everything. It's only you up there with the microphone in front of your face. So I think it's tricky and that it's very open to a lot of spin potentially on Affleck's part. But then the other side of me says it's his story still to tell. He's allowed to tell it. And 
often the best art is made from our personal struggles. And if that's the case, this movie might be brilliant. Well, exactly. And that's why I feel so particularly torn about this story. I will be so intrigued to see how this movie sells, whether Ben Affleck can actually rebuild his career in the way he so clearly desperately intends. And if Jennifer Garner says anything, like Mm. if she comes out publicly, I doubt she will. She's Mm. pretty good at keeping quiet. But I would love to see how this plays out and whether this movie sells. I think that's all we've got time for. I think so too. Thank you so, so much for listening as always. If you got to the end of the episode as always, a big thank you. We would love if you could tell a friend about Shameless today or this week, whenever suits you really. That is actually the number one way that people find the show, Zara. It's not through Instagram. It's not through Facebook. It's not through podcasting apps. It's word of mouth. So if you could just recommend Shameless to anyone in your life who you love this week, We would love you right back. Yes, we would love that. And we would love it even more if you just told them to subscribe too. (laughs) Um, It helps us heaps being more visible in the charts on the apps. So we would love that as well. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. We will be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye. When are you going to turn it off? Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.